Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the hotel here to the hotel anywhere else in the world, which is infinitely better than what this hotel is. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, we're having an absolute nightmare here. It's um, It's been a stressful hour, I think. It's been a long time. We are in paradise, but this is not the paradise setting for a podcast at all. Yes, for those who aren't aware, we're currently in Cancun in Mexico as part of a stag do. Mm. And it's been good. Uh, Cancun's a beautiful place, absolutely stunning. As we speak, we can see the beautiful blue ocean in front of us. But this hotel leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, uh, Yeah, plenty to be desired. The food, uh, this is becoming a TripAdvisor review. The food is... Okay. Um, actually, no. It's, that's um, that's no. really that's uh, yeah. That's quite a. Um, the food's appalling. Yeah, the food's terrible. Um, lovely view. I, I mean, right now a boat's just whizzed past us. We can see a lagoon, um, but the Wi-Fi is from the dark ages. It, yeah, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. I, I think dial-up is genuinely better mm-hmm. than this Wi-Fi. The staff here a bit nightmarish. They stare at you like you've just thrown a cat off a balcony. Yeah, that was an uncomfortable scenario getting dinner last night with the woman. <laughs> pressuring me into having chicken and listeners, <laughs> listeners listeners may well know i don't eat meat that was terrifying it was funny though <laughs> um yeah it, it, this this hotel is not going great and we're, we're, we're in a good time otherwise aren't we and Lovely. that's that's the main thing yeah, yeah our stag's having the best time yeah and as long as he's having a good time then i'm having a good time um but it, it is got to be said that i'm not sure um I'm not sure I'll be racing back to Cancun anytime soon. No, no. Don't get me wrong. It's a lovely place. Good holiday destination. But um, don't choose the hotel we've stayed in. Um, And because we are having issues with the Wi-Fi, it means for the first time in three years, we're recording... A mic, uh, we're recording a podcast together in the same room, Justin. So this may sound like shit. If it does sound like shit, ladies and gentlemen, I can only apologise, but we have... Very little choice on the matter. Our options are limited, and it, and it is about three years because we went into COVID. yeah we went into lockdown around this mm. time three years ago. So yeah, wow, it's uh, it's lovely to be around you, and I look forward to punching your face inevitably when you um, disregard a team that I don't disregard. Completely understand. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Somehow this is the number one championship podcast. I'm struggling to believe it (laughs) myself right now because this is an absolute fiasco. But what we're going to do is we're going to go through all the games in the championship from the past weekend. Plenty for us to talk about on that front. Talk about some of the news from the past few days as well. Then finish off with Simon Grayson's hateful eight right at the end. So we'll kick things off with Middlesbrough 5 Reading nil. We said Burnley-Huddersfield was the most one-sided game of the season last week. This is a fairly good rival, Justin. It was. It was incredibly one-sided. And as you say, you're going from one team last week who 
are the best team in the division against a team who are one of the worst teams in the division, Burnley Huddersfield. And then you're going into this game where Reading are, aren't a bad side. They are mid-tablers and then Borough are on the rise. Just goes to show how dominant and, and fierce Middlesbrough were. They were, they were absolutely superb. Um, but yeah, it was it was dominance. It was pure dominance. And given that Paul Lintz had nothing to say in his post-match presser other than moaning, it just goes to show how yeah how significant the result was for Borough. Yeah, I'm, I'm very surprised that Paul Lintz went down the route of blaming the referees <laughs> considering Reading were just so outdone, outclassed mm. by a much better side. And this was scintillating from Middlesbrough. They are just a joy to watch right now. The front four on fire, Cameron Archer's turning out to be a tremendous signing as we expected, to be fair. Chibrakpom, arguably player of the season at this point. Mm. And then... They pick and choose who's playing on the wings, whether it be Aaron Ramsey, who scored two here, Marcus Force, Riley McGree, Isaiah Jones. You can't really go wrong. Hayden Hackney and Johnny Housen have both been excellent at the base of midfield. The back line has been solid. I thought that was a bit of a problem initially under Carrick, but it's got a lot better. Plus, it includes Ryan Giles, who's just exceptional going forwards in particular. You've got all these individuals with bags of talent who are in top form, but... Most importantly, it's all knitted together by a brilliant coach in Michael Carrick. You just have to look at Watford to know how important that is, having the right person in charge of the team. Because Watford have a team, bags full of talent, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And probably even more talented than this Middlesbrough team, actually. But it means nothing if you don't have a top-class manager. That's no disrespect meant to Stavon Bilic, but Carrick is proving to be a top-class manager in his own right. And I find myself getting so excited about Middlesbrough. And even if they don't go up automatically, they'll be the massive favourites in the playoffs. Who's who's going to want to play Middlesbrough at this point? No one. I think that's the key thing is the fact that they are so um, so efficient in going forwards and creating chances and keeping teams out. They've become a very well-rounded team under Carrick. And under Chris Wilder, you saw the issues in the fact that they were still creating chances, but they were making mistakes at the back um, or making mistakes in key areas and losing the ball and getting turned over quite quickly. Um, and they weren't taking the chances, whereas whereas Carrick's turned that around. He's, he's turned the team in a, into a confidence team, and I think that's the big thing. The key indicator, or the, the, the biggest example of that, is, is Chubrab Pom. I don't think we need to say any more about that, but there are other individuals in this side who have just excelled under Carrick, and it's only going to get better, which is a very frightening thought for, for um, the rest of the Championship. Unfortunately, a defeat on the road isn't too surprising with Reading. It's something they've got a bit used to, in fact. They've lost six away games on the bounce, lost 13 from 18 away games this season. It's going to be interesting to see how much the points deduction affects the players. I'm not sure this game is a great indicator of how it's affected them, but it's certainly not a great start, is it? Yeah, I don't think it's the points deduction being a massive, uh, having a massive impact on the side. I think it's more to do with just that they're terrible away from home. Obviously, Joe Lumley wasn't in the side either because he's obviously on on loan from Middlesbrough. Not that he would have made too much difference in this game, but um, I don't think the points deduction have too much of an impact. I think it's more a case of they've been terrible away from home all season, um, and it's it's hard to see that stopping anytime anytime soon. Um, that being said, this this was a really poor performance. I think the fact that they managed, well, they didn't manage a single shot on target, is is quite telling of of how well dominated they were by Middlesbrough. And it's a, it's a key thing that needs to be um, addressed by Paul Lintz, uh as soon as possible. Well, they've now got the joint worst defensive record in the league, and I think it's criminal how bad they've been at the back this season. They had the worst defensive record yeah. last season, lest we forget. How is that problem still there for two consecutive seasons? Mm. It doesn't make any sense to me. I can excuse a team having it one season, but to then have it again the next season is just not good enough. 
as with regards to the points deduction, I am quite confident, well, I quite confidently said in midweek that Reading won't go down. I still think that now, but it could very easily go horribly wrong very quickly. If their, ho- if their home form doesn't continue to be quite good, then they're in deep trouble because away results just aren't happening. I fear standards have been dropping and that could lead to it being a very, very nervy two months for Reading fans. A Harry Pickering goal gave Blackburn a 1-0 win over Sheffield United. A huge result for both sides, this. It's, it's, it's significant, massively significant. I think the performance um, performance from Blackburn's perspective was, was brilliant. Their game plan was to a T. It was, you know, they, they, they wanted to counter-attack. They wanted to drop off and the early goal really helped them thrive, actually. Um, whereas most sides they'll sit back and Blackburn did sit back but they were so electric on the counter-attack throughout the game it was fantastic and Sheffield United massive result for for, for Middlesbrough in, in that um, it's given them a glimpse of that top two position again and uh, it just leaves Paul Heckingbottom scratching his head he was wearing a suit again um, which really unsettles me I, I need to point that out yeah he is very much a he's a tracksuit man tracksuit man yeah, yeah I, I completely agree with that to be fair to Blackburn they are extremely good at holding on to leads yeah. aren't they when they when they get in front they are very good at just sitting on it. There is no team in the division who is better at it mm. than Blackburn. They've won five games on the bounce now in all competitions. And the strange thing is, they're doing it mostly without Ben Barrett and Diaz, which was unthinkable earlier in the season because he was putting away chances for fun that he didn't really have any right mm. to be putting away. The last few games is the best they've been playing all season for me, even better than earlier in the season when they were third or wherever they were on the table so credit where it's due in that case I'm still very much of the opinion that they won't get in the top six but I can acknowledge how good they've been recently Justin Um, I'll disagree with you this is probably one of those times where I could could give you a thumb but um, I I think they're peaking at the right time I think their results performances earlier in the season were quite poor Um, they needed to do a hell of a lot more in terms of transfer creation um, and they probably still they probably still need to do that, but they've got players hitting form at a very very good time. You look at Bradley Dack and his goals to game ratio over the last sort of two months, what are we in March? Yeah, two or three months. It's been absolutely superb. Um, and then as you've mentioned, it's without the the it's without Ben Barrett and Diaz. Sammy Schmodix was was brilliant against Sheffield United. He was he was brought in to press. He was brought in to press high, and um, I think we're starting to see that over the last few games, and we're starting to see him really 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 thrive in that side in that side. And Dolan, Tyrese Dolan has been fantastic as well. So they've got players peaking at, the, at a very good time and I think that's it's a good time to do it. And as I say, those, those points that they accrued earlier on in the season have set them a solid foundation and the performances are starting to improve as well. And that being the case, I don't think you can rule them out of the top six. So it's back to as we were in the automatic promotion race. Just a four-point gap separating Sheffield United and Middlesbrough. Sheffield United have lost three of their last four while Middlesbrough have won six in seven. What's your take on that, JP? I'm still confident Sheffield United will still finish in the top six, uh, top two. Sorry, um, I'm I'm I don't think it was a bad performance against Blackburn. I think the early goal they conceded was a poor goal to concede. They were done very well, done done very quickly on the counter attack, um, and as you as you pointed out, Blackburn are very good at sitting on leads, so you can't give them a head start. Sheffield United did, um, and they were not lackluster in front of goal, but they lacked that clinical edge that they've had all season. It wasn't a poor performance, as I say. It was a frustrating one. Um, so I, I think with that in mind, it's, it's still hard to see Middlesbrough catching them up. They've got a good enough gap of four points and still got the game in hand. Or has that been used up now? Still got the game in hand. Still got the game in hand. So there's possibility of jumping up to seven points. Um, so I think, as I say, Middlesbrough got to have a near-perfect finish to the end of the season. Sheffield United can afford to drop a few more points. 
Middlesbrough have restored themselves as favourites, as far as I'm concerned, because these two are just playing very differently mm. right now. Borough are playing fearlessly, the chock full of confidence, while Sheffield United, the standards have dropped. Key players aren't playing as well as they were. The likes of Ilhaman Indai, Sander Berger in particular. If this was a race, like an actual human race, then Sheffield United would be ahead. But they're the ones who are flagging yeah. around Middlesbrough or in full gallop. The finishing line is further away than Sheffield United, Sheffield United will like it to be as well. One thing I will say is, if Sheffield United don't go up, they haven't bottled promotion. The standard of the three teams at the top of the table is just remarkable this season. 13 wins from 16 for Middlesbrough. I think the Blades are just getting caught by an exceptional side with an exceptional manager. And there's no shame in that if you do get caught by them. I mean, yes, Sheffield United were ahead by quite a distance, but they've only failed to win six of their last 18 games. That doesn't sound like a team who's bottling it, if you ask me. Mm. So they may very well get that tag if they don't go up, but I think it would be unfair if they were to be credited as a team of bottlers. Uh, Burnley dropped points for only the fourth time in 20 games after being held to a goalless draw away at Blackpool. A good old-fashioned Mick McCarthy shithouse masterclass this one. They've become the first team to keep a clean sheet against Burnley in the league since August. But even more impressively, Burnley didn't really have a golden chance. Chris Maxwell had to make some very good saves, but all the shots were from distance. What? It's what we've been expecting of Mick McCarthy on this side for a long time and we just haven't seen it. They've they've been of the Blackpool of old where they've conceded really sloppy goals. So this was a really reassuring display from, from Mick McCarthy's side. And as I say, that organisation was, was really important. And when you're limiting a side who have been so liquid going forward, so fluid, so um, just just with getting into the final third with ease and getting good goal-scoring chances off with ease, um, it goes to show the work that they would have put in on that training ground over the last week. So, yeah, kudos to uh, Mick McCarthy and Blackpool. It's a performance we've been expecting for a long time. Is it too late in the relegation battle? Potentially. But if they repeat those performances, momentum could be, you know, could swing their way. This is essentially a win for Blackpool. It's as good as a win as, in my eyes anyway. They defended incredibly. It was pretty obvious what Mick McCarthy's game plan was going to be. <laughs> they had six defenders who started this game, so they yeah. were definitely eyeing up a point from the uh, first whistle, but they fully deserved that point. And fortunately for them, wins for the likes of Cardiff and Rotherham mean that even further from safety despite this result. They're now six points deep. Uh, but as you say, Justin, they're still... Well, I, I think there's still a long way to go in this battle. This. We've still got a quarter of the game of the season left. Mm-hmm. And six points, considering Blackpool haven't been winning many games recently, six points is quite big in that respect. But at the same time, I still think there could be a few twists and turns left to be yeah. had. But a rare poor performance for Burnley. Probably the poorest I've seen from them since they got battered by Sheffield United in November. They're racking up a fair few injuries as well, Justin. Yeah. Josh Brownhill went off here. It's not been disclosed how serious... That one is, but Ian Martson, Taylor Harwood-Bellis, Manuel Benson, Jay Rodriguez, all out as well. At least half those players we've mentioned there will have a good chance of being in our team of the season. So they've definitely been hindered, haven't they? Uh, anything else from you on Burnley, Justin? I think they, they, they can afford to have a drop in standards, can't they? They've, they've set such a high standard this season. And the fact that we're talking about them as one of the best teams in the Championship ever... Um, just goes to show how good they've been throughout the year. Um, that being said, if 
I want them to see. I want them to carry on being as good as they have been. We saw Fulham drop off massively last season, um, especially when they knew they were going to win the league, um, and it just took the gloss off uh, gloss off that title win. I think so. I want to see Burnley maintain this momentum. Um, it's difficult, but I want them to, to, to carry on. Worth mentioning that there was a lot of trouble after this game. Burnley fans fighting each other in their own stand and a Blackpool fan has been hospitalised following a fight at a pub after the game. There's been a lot of rumours about the latter incident, which we won't divulge into onto this podcast before we have anything concrete confirmed. But seeing stuff like that is a real shame. Norwich made it three wins on the trot by winning 3-2 away at Millwall. Bizarrely, Gianni Infantino was at this game. (laughs) Don't know why, and it's very random, Justin. I can imagine him getting involved in the uh, mill chance. Yes. <laughs> That'd be incredible, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> Do you reckon he was uh, trying to bargain with the cameramen to get him on camera as much as possible like he was at the World Cup? I wouldn't be surprised. And I wouldn't be surprised if he put a speech out and saying, today I am Millwall. Yeah, nasty little man. Um, I was randomly <laughs> scrolling around on whoscored.com earlier and they have match forecasts of things they think will happen in games. Not a clue how that's figured out, but it said there are two things that are least very likely to happen in this game. One was Millwall creating many goal-scoring chances and Norwich will score as a result of individual skill, which ended up being spot on, wasn't it? Millwall probably should have won this one. Norwich's first two came from two deflections and Millwall missed plenty of chances. But let's talk about someone who's becoming a bit of a regular fixture on this podcast. Gabriel Sara, what a goal that was, Justin. It was superb, wasn't it? And we've, um, I mean, I can't remember who it was now. It was only a week ago where he just, where he drove that low draw, uh, the the, um, dandelion cutter. Yes. It was, uh, yeah, he's showcasing his quality, which is so good to see because it's been a very, very slow start to to his life at at Norwich, but we are starting to see his quality and and it's it's, it's massive for Norwich because they they need that extra bit of... um, extra bit of swaz in that team because it's, it looks so bland under Dean Smith and Sara's adding it um, and not only that but he's getting involved in, in other aspects of the game the the dirty part of the game the, the nitty gritty the, the stuff that you don't want to like you expect luxury players not to do to not to get involved in it and he's doing it and it's and as I say it's, it's massive that, that double pivot of him and McLean I think is, is going to thrive throughout the season He's almost single-handedly inspired Norwich to four wins from five he's been Without a doubt, the player of the month for February. If he doesn't get that award, then something's seriously gone wrong with how they decide who wins it because he has just been unbelievable. I wanted to bring up Adam Eder again, who I can't say I've been very mm. impressed with at all recently for Norwich. I don't really see what he brings to the team. I know he's still quite young, but he's been afforded a lot of game time recently and has done very little in that time. We've always heard how highly rated he is at Carrow Road. However, He is 22 now and he scored five league goals in his career and he's played quite a few games in that time. He's had a bit of struggles with injury, but he has played a lot of games. This should really be the season where he shows everyone why he's so highly rated, but he's not done it at all. I saw one Norwich journalist say he's going to be the successor to Timu Puki, who looks very likely to leave Carrow Road this summer. If that's the case, I'd be very worried because he simply has to do better than how he's done recently. Norwich have won three on the bounce now. Millwall away, one of the hardest games any yeah. team have to deal with this season. So coming away with anything, let alone three points, deserves a lot of credit. And Norwich are now back in the top six with this result. That's come at the expense of Millwall, who have fallen out of there again. Fine margins have cost them recently, haven't they? It's 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 frustrating, um, but I don't think it was a poor performance from Millwall. But you are right, it's those fine margins. You look at that Sara goal, for example, the Tom Bradshaw and goal. It's, it's little things like that. And it... it 
it goes against you sometimes. Sometimes it goes against you. Sometimes it goes for you. And Millwall have been, I wouldn't say fortunate, but they've been very clinical away from home in the last two games. Um, and maybe it's just caught up with them a bit. It's, it's not a logical thing to say, but they come up. They've they've come up against a Norwich team who are bang in form. Confidence is high, and you need to be at your very very best to to ensure that they, they don't get a result against you. And it, unfortunately, it wasn't the case. But yeah, it, as I say, it wasn't a poor performance. But Guy Rout will be disappointed with the goals they conceded. To be fair, it's been an incredibly tricky run. Their last six games, with the exception of Stoke, have all been against teams who are still hoping to be promoted this season. They're still in a very good position and the fixtures are beginning to ease up for them. So I'd be still fancying my chances if I was a Millwall fan. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll discuss the fight to stay up. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. In the Seven Side Derby, Cardiff beat Bristol City 2-0. Ring the alarm for an outfield player going in goal. Justin Perry NG having to fill in here for Ryan Allsop, who was sent off late on. Few things I enjoy more in football than an outfielder in goal. He even had the attire spot on. Mm. Still wearing his outfield shorts, which are a completely different colour to <laughs> the goalkeeper shirt he was wearing. A quite an even game, this one. Yeah, I, I I actually thought Cardiff were marginally better. Um, I think I don't think Bristol City were were great in possession. Um, I don't think they created enough chances with the amount of possession they had. I thought Cardiff were they they're starting to tick along very nicely, and I think they were more clinical, and that shows the confidence they've got. You look at that delivery for the um for the for the for the, for the first goal with the header it was pinpoint. Uh, Bristol City lacked that quality throughout the game that Cardiff had, and as I say, I just think they they've got that edge at the moment because of banging form, very high confidence. Yeah, we're big proprietors of XG on this podcast, aren't we? But I was amazed to see that Bristol City won this easily on XG because having seen as much of this game as I had done, I thought Cardiff from the better side. They probably edged it. I thought it was an even game, but I thought Cardiff definitely edged it. So I was surprised to see Bristol City so much better in terms of XG. Um, (laughs) So, yeah... Make it that what you will. But Jaden Philogene was excellent for Cardiff. There was one moment where he played a pass that I didn't even spot. I got, I've got i got a bird's eye view of the pitch. So for him to do that on the pitch with the ball at his feet was incredible. But he, he was absolutely excellent. Um, looks like he may be leaving Villa this summer. And I imagine Cardiff will be one of a few teams trying to get his signature. Cardiff now six points clear of the bottom three, still 21st, but have managed to create quite the gap after three wins in four. I'd say at this st- at this stage, there are teams outside of the bottom three who are more in danger of going down than Cardiff are at this point, namely Birmingham, maybe QPR. That is partly down to those two dropping off a cliff with their form, but also it's because of the great work Sabri Mushi has done. Cardiff were looking very desperate at one point and wins were miles away. So he's done a great job in such a short period of time. They've offered a lot more going forwards than they were before, yeah. despite Callum Robinson being injured. So fair play to Lamushi, who, worth remembering, he's only on a contract until the end of the season. He's definitely earned the opportunity to keep the job next season. I think Cardiff will be in great danger of going down again next season if they were to stay up this season. But I'd be feeling more confident of them staying up with Lamushi in charge than I would have if Mark Hudson or Steve Morrison were in charge, Justin. I do agree. Um, I mean, Lamushi's got that experience over Steve Morrison and Mark Hudson. I still think Steve Morrison deserves more of an opportunity. Mark Hudson is certainly probably more of a coach than he is a, a head coach. That being said, Lamushi's got... 
he's got a good record. He's got a relatively good record. Um, and I think, obviously, if he steers Cardiff away from relegation trouble this season, gives them some sort of a chance to reset in the summer, whether or not the board have that uh, capability, I, I, I don't know. Um, but what he's, the work he's done this season has been superb. The, the more the quality he's getting out of that, um, I mean, you look at Romain Soyes has been absolutely exceptional. Jaden Philogene's improved. Um, Shea Ojo's improving as well. There's a lot of players getting better under Sabri Udomushin. I think that's the key thing. Justin, this was Bristol City's first league loss in 10 games. And as we know with Bristol City, this surely means they're now going to go on a bad run of 10 games, doesn't it? <laughs> that's how it works. They go on a good run and then an equally long bad run. Well, it's it's clockwork, isn't it? It's, it's It could potentially happen. I think that's the, the main thing here with Bristol City is just getting into that next game. And, and you look at Middlesbrough, how effective they are at bouncing back from defeats. Obviously, Bristol City don't have the quality that Middlesbrough have. Um, but you are looking for a response now and they do have a young team out. You look at those Mehmeti, Scott, Sam Bell in that final third, a lot of inexperience and I think it's just a case of that might be filtering in a little bit. But for me, I think Bristol City, if they have a, a relatively strong finish and don't dip, don't have this losing streak or streak of poor results, I still think it'll be a positive season um, despite me backing them for a top six finish. As you like to keep reminding us, even I'm not reminding us about that at this point. Huddersfield nil, Coventry four. This game was a bit strange in the way that I think Huddersfield played better than the scoreline suggests, but Coventry could and probably should have scored more. One thing that's undeniable is Huddersfield's defending here was woeful. Their last two games now has produced some of the worst defending you'll see all season. Well, it's not really a surprise given how poor Huddersfield have been for most of the season. Um, I mean, that back pass from Helic was... We've seen that quite a few times this season from defenders that are down in uh, down with teams in the in sort of relegation battle area. Um, and they were punished by a very, very clinical strike in Victor Gokrez. You cannot give someone an opportunity like Victor Gokrez. I would just feel granted them very many opportunities. And unfortunately, that's why they're down there. That's why they're looking like they're going to go down. It's, it's hard to make an argument. It's always hard to make a case for them staying up. Yeah, the baton, the going down baton is firmly on, in Huddersfield's hands now, isn't it? It's looking very grim from a Huddersfield Town perspective. When we were discussing the relegation battle a couple of weeks ago, the only reason I gave them any hope of staying up was because of Neil Warnock and his ability to pull off miracles. But this simply appears to be too big a job, even for him. The last two games have been abysmal and it looks as if that win against Birmingham was a flash in the pan in Neil Warnock's first first game in charge. The squad is just not good enough, simple as. Adding the fact, and this is probably the scariest thing, eight of their remaining 12 games are against sides in the top half. It does not get any easier for Huddersfield and I would be quite comfortable at this point saying Huddersfield are probably down. Can I make the point of as well that I, I think they struggle in League One with this team. I really, really do. Um, I think it lacks belief. I think it lacks confidence. I think to some extent it lacks character. Everything that was there last season has just disappeared. I just, I struggle to see a, a light at the end of the tunnel for them. Um, and I think that, you know, they, they, they felt like they rolled over um, against Coventry. I know they had uh, opportunities at times, but they were just... They allowed a team who haven't been effective at creating goal-scoring chances for most of the season. You know, they made them look like Burnley again, essentially. That's not a criticism of Coventry. It's a criticism of how Huddersfield managed the game. I think Neil Warnock said after the game as well, it's one of the worst situations he's been in football. Let's bear in mind he was at Crystal Palace who were minutes away from liquidation. Mm. That's how bad the situation is at Huddersfield at the moment. 
Coventry still going good though, aren't they? Four wins from five, three points off the top six. They've hit form at the right time, haven't they, Justin? They they flirt with you, don't they? They make mm. you think they make you think that you've got a chance. Mm. And I enjoy it. I enjoy <laughs> yeah. the flirt. I the flirt is great. Yeah. But I don't want to be let down. I don't want to be I don't want to go home on my uh, on my own at the end of the night, Ryan, with Coventry. And that's I feel like that's gonna happen. I don't trust them enough. Would you buy him a drink still? Yeah, of course. I'd buy them a drink because they, they entertain me. They make me happy. Um, but they, they just might let me down in the season. That's not their fault. They lack depth. I'm trying to use a metaphor that relates to the one I've already used with. They are not, oh, I don't know. They've got a great personality, but okay. they, have, they, they, have the, they have this tendency to switch all of a sudden. Um, and it makes you lose confidence in them. Okay. Okay, this metaphor's gone completely yeah. out of hand, so we'll leave that one there. And I hope Coventry fans have some sort of <laughs> insight into what we're thinking. Yeah, there was, of. there was no insight there into this performance at all. It was a really good performance from Coventry. Does deserves a lot of praise. Unfortunately, we wasted time not giving it. I think they were helped massively by Huddersfield parting like the Red Sea at times. But, you know, you can only beat what's in front of you. And they definitely did that, didn't they? We're going to Birmingham drew one all. A result that doesn't really suit either team, this one. It doesn't. Um, and I think given the amount of chances that Birmingham had, it'll be a bitter, bitter one for John Eustace. And I think even with Wigan, um, neither team would have wanted a draw. They would have both been desperate for a win. But... It just tells you where both teams are at the minute. Wigan struggling to create chances and convert those chances in Birmingham have been actually relatively effective at creating chances over recent weeks. Again, they're just, I mean, it's summed up by Scott Hogan, isn't it? He's been so poor and then he hits a post from, from a penalty. It's, yeah, it's that, that's the situation they're in at the moment. Man of the match for Wigan was the woodwork. Birmingham hit the, <laughs> hit the same post three times in three minutes. It was a it was absolutely insane seeing that. A great free kick by Giannini Bakuna, though. He is capable of that kind of thing, isn't he? He mm-hmm. just simply doesn't do it enough. And Birmingham could do with him doing it quite a bit more, actually. Birmingham will be kicking themselves that they couldn't win here because they badly needed to. And they can't have come much closer to winning, actually. This was their first point in five games. They're 19th. But without a doubt, I'd say they're the team outside of the bottom three who are most likely to go down right now. There's a big gap between the bottom three and the rest of the pack, which may be enough to save the others. But Birmingham are just in such a rut right now. The goals have dried up. Scott Hogan is the perfect example of that. He's gone from scoring nine in the first three months of the season to one mm. since November. They're just a shadow of the team we saw earlier in the season. But the thing is, I don't think the performance has been terrible. Like I said, they have still been creating plenty of chances, but they just lack that quality in the final third. That's probably more telling of the squad of players that they've got. Scott Hogan, for all his credit, has he's hit double figures now, hasn't he, this season? He has shown that he can score goals. Um, Troy Deeney, sadly, is past his best. He's a useful asset to the team, but he is past his best. Djokovic, again, useful asset to the team, but again, he's past his best as well. It just lacks quality in the final third, and I think that, that's, yeah, that's quite telling. And you look at Kevin Long, for example, who's come in, credit to him, he's a good experienced pro, but he's not played that many senior games despite him being 32 years of age. That's just the market Birmingham City are in. They've got a lot of lone players as well, which isn't helpful. The team lacks quality. Johnny Eustace has done well to get a lot out of it, in my opinion. I think they were certs for relegation, but Johnny Eustace surpassed expectation. I think that needs. To, I think he's got credit in the bank um, to relieve that pressure on him. It's one loss from six for Wigan and Sean Maloney, although just the one win in there. The concern would be from a Wigan perspective, if you're not winning a home game against a struggling Birmingham side, what games are you going to win? Their next four games are West Brom, Burnley, Coventry and Watford. 
which isn't ideal. I could see them maybe nicking a point or two from those games, but Wigan need wins at this point. They've got better under Maloney, but draws aren't enough, are they? And I haven't come away from many Wigan games recently where they have drawn and I thought they deserve to win because they just do not create enough going forward. Sure, Maloney has worked wonders in making them better at the back because they were a nightmare under Colo Torre defensively. But that's not going to save them at this point. They can't draw their way to safety. They need to get some wins and that's the big concern for me. A double from Jordan Hugill helped Rotherham beat QPR 3-1, a result which is a huge boost to Rotherham's survival hopes and does a lot of damage to QPRs. Massively, massively. And I think it was, um, you look at the Rotherham and the quality they had in this in this game, um, QPR didn't have it. <laughs> Defending as, as poor as they were, they gave Rotherham a lot of opportunities. Rotherham worked hard for the win um, and not taking anything away from them, but they were... They were helped along by some really bad decision making, some really bad mistakes from from some good individuals, um, and again, that's just where QPR are, uh, are at the moment. They're making so many errors. They look like a team who are fighting for their lives, and they're probably fighting for their lives for that next point, for that next three points. Maybe not relegation just yet, but it does raise eyebrows. Rob Dickey had a disastrous game. He was at fault for all three goals, and his drop in drop off in form is very alarming. Once upon a time. He was one of the best defenders in the league, in my eyes. And he's been really poor now for quite some time. Now, to be fair to him, he's not the only QPR player who um, has massively dropped off. But his drop-off is probably the biggest of all, and maybe the most surprising too. Before, he was this classy, ball-playing centre-half who was interesting a few Premier League teams, I think I recall. Now his confidence has been shot, and he looks an absolute shadow of the player he once was because it's just not there anymore and I'm, I'm not sure why that's happened but it's kind of in sync with yeah. the rest of the QPR team really Gareth Ainsworth still waiting for his first point as QPR boss the thing is I fancy QPR to stay up more than Birmingham and it, uh, the reason I say that is because of Gareth Ainsworth but these first two games have gone fairly disastrously for him, haven't they? They have. There have been some elements that will please Ainsworth, but at the end of the day, they need results and they need to, they need the players picking up off the floor. And it's not really happened yet. Obviously, they did some weird stuff in the midweek um, in terms of trying to build character and um, generate a you know, positive atmosphere. And fair enough, they probably... What did to... they do? I might have missed this. It was the... Um, they did the... Um, the, uh, the... I'm trying to think what it's called now. The New Zealand... Hacker. The Hacker. They had a chap come in and do the hacker. Um, it was interesting. It's such an Ainsworth thing to do. <laughs> it, it, it is. It is. And fair play to him. He's, he's thinking outside the box. And probably when you when your team's playing as bad as they have been and the the run they've been on has been, I mean, not one of a kind bad, but we've not seen runs this bad for. Well, I don't see it too, too often, to be honest. You need to think outside the box, and he's trying that. But we we've seen elements of, of good play, but unfortunately, it's being undone by teams who are way ahead of them. And and they wouldn't have said that about Rotherham or Huddersfield or any teams below them um, at the start of the season. Well, it's all looking rather rosy now for Rotherham, isn't it? They're eight points clear at the bottom three. They've leapfrogged past Birmingham and QPR, who, you know, are sinking like a ship. But Rotherham suddenly looking quite safe, yeah. aren't they? It turns around very quick, doesn't it? Two or three weeks ago, they were arguably looking the most vulnerable out of every team in the championship. But now... I don't think that's the case. Well, they've got they they recruited well in in the in January, and I think the Sean Morrison injury for me 
made me think actually maybe they will get dragged back into that relegation battle. But the players have, have picked up in form. Helder's been great. Hugel's obviously scored twice here, which is a massive, massive plus because I think that's going to be the key difference because it's going to release the pressure on, on Fosu and Ogbeni who are creatively uh, relied upon in that in that team. Um, but they've got players hitting, hitting form at a very good time. Uh, and I'll happily say I was wrong about them. I think I was sceptical of their chances because of how poor they have been under Taylor. But actually, last six or seven games, they've been exceptional. Um, they've relied upon what's what's got them to the uh, to the position they're in now. They, they, they're a hard-working team. They're a counter-attacking team. And they've got quality in that team as well. So credit to them. This was a really good win. And it shows a good indicator of where they are at right now. On Friday night, Hull beat West Brom 2-0. West Brom were the better side here. It says a lot that the man of the match was probably Carl Darlow. Mm-hmm. But it's a great win for Hull. Massive win for Hull. Obviously, we saw a little bit of a mini poor spell um, under Liam Rossini over recent weeks, something that we've not seen yet under him. And it was, it's a good reaction. Okay, they um, they conceded a fair few chances against West Brom, but West Brom are a very good team. Um, but actually, you know, who were they managed the game relatively well. And they, you know, Benjamin Tete scored his first, for example. That's a massive, massive um, plus for, for Hull. Um, and as I say, it's a clean sheet, it's a win, it's a three points, getting back into the mid table area. It's a, yeah, a, a big positive haul. Yeah, this result really bugs me. West Brom beat Middlesbrough last week. I thought that may mean they've turned a corner, but this wasn't a great way to follow that up. It's one win in five for them. Just over a month ago, they were on a similar level to Middlesbrough. That's certainly not the case anymore. With the exception of that Birmingham game, I still think West Brom are playing well. The one thing that's holding them back, and this is going to be a big shock to everyone who's listened to the podcast for the last two years, the, the one thing that's holding them back is putting away chances. How many times in the last year and a half have we mentioned West Brom failing to put away chances? It's creeped back into their game and has cost them so many points. In my mind, I keep thinking they'll get into the playoffs, but you actually look at the table now. It's a seven-point gap. Yes, a game in hand. However, there's four teams between them and the playoffs, so they've got to overtake all of them, plus at least one team in the playoffs. I'm questioning myself more and more with West Brom's playoff chances. Yeah, yes and no. I, I think that um, they, they, well, they have enough quality in that team. And I, I don't think we've seen the very best of Jed Wallace, for example. We've not, I don't think we've seen the very best of John Swift either. And obviously, Daryl DK's has done well in periods, but he's, he's, still, he's coming back from a big injury, isn't he? Same with Brandon Thomas Asante. He's, he's made the jump from League Two. So I just think they've got a lot of players, good players, who are going through the motions. Um it's not what you know. We've not been able to. We've not been able to say that about West Brom over the last few years. They've underperformed massively. Um, but as you say, it's, it has creeped into the game. And if you look at the likes of uh, West Brom, Norwich, their goal-scoring teams, Millwall, very good at defending leads. Um, West Brom are sort of middle of the road at the moment. They don't put their chances away, and when they when they do take the lead, they do defend them well. But it's putting those chances away. That's the, the big issue, and that. that could well cost them a place in the top six. They have had a few injuries, to be fair to them, but they need to turn this form around because it's dropped very suddenly. And I'm not sure why that is. Hall needed a win because results had dropped off for them and considering their remaining fixtures, they needed points. Eight of their remaining 11 games are against sides who will still fancy their chances of promotion. They only face one team fighting to stay up. They've got by far the most difficult remaining fixtures of any team in the championship, so much so that I did have to just do a a little double check to see how far above the bottom three (laughs) they are, but I'm pretty certain that won't be an issue for me. 
it does extinguish any ambitious hopes of Hull making a late charge for the top six. So one thing I will say, though, assuming Hull's season is essentially over at this point, I think there will be a dangerous side next season. The change under Liam Rosinha is just remarkable. And that bodes well for them in the long term. The stat from last week was that prior to his appointment, Hull had by far the worst defensive record in the division. Since he's come in, only Burnley and Luton have conceded fewer goals. That is a mind-blowing change, isn't it? But they've become such a functional side under him and is showing why he's such a highly rated coach. And as we know with Hull's owners... They're very ambitious. They're very, very ambitious. So we can expect them to be very busy again in the summer. Those two things mixed together, the fact they're going to be busy in the summer, the fact they've got a very good coach in Liam Rosinha, makes me very excited for the future of Hull City. And fans should be excited about that. There are so many clubs who are around Hull in the mid-table area of the championship. And I look at those other clubs and say, that club is either going backwards or I don't know which direction it's going in. I can say for sure that Hull are only going in one direction and that's forwards, particularly with Rosini in charge. Final thing on this, Liam Rosini mentioned afterwards that Benjamin Tete, who scored in this game, was best friends with Christian Atsu and had been really down after the earthquake in Turkey. So him getting the goal would have hopefully meant an awful lot to him. Luton beat Swansea 1-0. Carlton Morris getting the goal. For me, this is the meeting of a side who... Don't tend to have much possession, but know what to do with it when they have it against a team who have loads of possession, but don't know what to do with it. <laughs> Luton, much the better side here. Not too surprising considering where these two are currently at, despite their disastrous form. Swansea are 11 points clear of the bottom three. So I'd be amazed if they actually found themselves in serious danger of going down, but I wouldn't rule it out, Justin. It's got to be a disaster, uh, a massive disaster and vice versa. Those teams in that bottom three have got to have a miracle end to the season haven't they mm-hmm. um, I think what you can pick apart from that scenario is how how much of a contrast it is of, of the start of the season that Swansea had or, or the aspirations at least and where they look like they were going to what they're doing now or what's happening now it's, it's massively frustrating and, and disappointing a lot of potential with this team a lot of potential with Russell Martin but I don't think we're going to see the best of it unfortunately I think um, I think time will catch up with Martin and, and this Swansea team before we see the very best of them yeah, we've spoken about them quite a lot recently, yeah. haven't we? So I don't want to spend another half-hour analysis talking about why Swansea are going in a bad direction right now, but Luton still in the playoffs with this result. In Alex Neal's first visit back to the Stadium of Light since leaving, Stoke won 5-1 away at Sunderland. The strangest result of the season. It's got to be, hasn't it, Justin? You say that, but okay, the 5-1 is quite an emphatic scoreline, but Stoke have been on the up in recent weeks. They have been creating a lot of chances of not putting them away. So whilst a 5-1 scoreline away from home is flattering, it's not particularly surprising given that it's just one of those laws. The law of averages has caught up with them and, and they put they put their chances away this week rather than missing them. And Sunderland haven't been playing amazingly exactly. in the last few games. But still, I never saw this result coming in a million no, no, years. No, no, no. Um, I mean, I would have been surprised if Stoke won 1-0. But 5-1 is just absolutely bonkers. But the thing is, it shows how good this Stoke team can be. I've always said this over this season. There are some bloody good players in this team. I mean, Dwight Gale, for example, <laughs> has been a shadow of the Dwight Gale that we know from 
years gone by at championship level. He finally got a couple of goals here after, he, I don't know how many he scored off the top of my head, but it's not been many this one, season. Yeah, it may have only been one goal. Um, and there were just so many other talented players in this Stoke team, but it's just not worked for whatever reason. And maybe now we're finally seeing, I mean, it's way too late for anything, <laughs> for anything to be accomplished in that respect, but at least we're finally seeing something of note. Um, Watford v Preston ended goalless. That's the final game of this weekend, Justin. Watford have the easiest remaining fixtures based on the average position in the table of the teams they've got to face. That only makes me think, if they don't get top six, they've only got themselves to blame. Absolutely. Watford have made every game difficult for themselves. So uh, you say it's the easiest running, but it's the hardest running as well. Yeah. And to be fair, some Watford fans did, because we put out a huge graphic on this on a, the second tier Twitter this week, and some Watford fans did make the good point that Watford particularly struggle against teams who sit back against them. So it shouldn't be the case, though, should it? The quality they've got. Shouldn't be mad, the case. Isn't it? Shouldn't be the case. But that's why João Pedro is having to come so damn deep all the time to yeah. get a touch of the ball because when he's further up the pitch, he just can't seem to influence games as much, and that's a problem. It's yeah, it's a sad indictment of of the progress they've made over the last or lack of progress they've made over the last sort of few months. And yeah, again, it's sad that we're not seeing the very best of João Pedro either because he's got player of the year quality and he's been let down by a system that doesn't work for him. Yeah, well, they're not very good going forwards, are they? Shouldn't be the case with a team as talented as this is, but that's where Watford currently find themselves. They should get in the top six, considering their remaining games, but I'm not saying that with overwhelming confidence, so we'll have to wait and see on that front. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Paul Ince has confirmed Reading are bracing themselves for another six-point deduction. It's expected to happen this coming week and is because of the club breaching the business plan it agreed with the EFL. Ince has admitted it's a big blow and called it a bombshell. We spoke about it earlier, Justin, so we won't go over that again. Lewis O'Brien says he's gutted after his appeal over the move to Blackburn was rejected by the EFL. The Forest midfielder looks set to move there on deadline day, but Rovers failed to supply all the required information before the deadline line according to the EFL who say there's no further right of appeal. He's been left out of Forest's 25 Premier League squad as well so he won't be able to play any football for the remainder of the season. It's just, a, it's just a sad story isn't it really? It is but it, get your business done early in the transfer window um, and likewise with Forest, if you're not going to use your player don't hang on to them allow them to move out alone this is the, the problem with uh, clubs stockpiling players um, and good players like Lewis O'Brien, there's there's a potential big asset there for Nottingham Forest if he excels. Even if he doesn't do it at Forest, he does it at another club, they could potentially sell him for a profit. It's frustrating. Um, and I, I know Blackburn shouldn't be absolved, absolved of criticism because they should have their books, in, not books in order, but you know what I mean. They should have the, the admin side of things done right. And it wasn't the case, but yeah, I think everyone, no one comes out of this apart from Lewis O'Brien smelling of roses. It's frustrating. The Blackburn did say that they found out about it late on in the day, on deadline day. Um, but Steve Cooper's been in- extremely critical of how they've handled this whole thing. And it doesn't seem like Blackburn have a leg to stand on when no, it comes no. to actually trying to get this whole thing overturned. But I feel so sorry for Lewis O'Brien. He walks into every team in the division for me. So it's incredibly sad that you've now got this extremely talented young lad who's 
essentially sat on his arse until next August. Hopefully, he'll find a move in that time. But it's just so sad. I cannot emphasise how sad this whole situation is. And as you say, no one's coming out of this smelling from uh, smelling like roses apart from Lewis O'Brien. But yeah, it's... Yeah, it's ruined the holiday. You know what? He has ruined the holiday, actually. <laughs> Watford will be without Tom Deli Bashiro for the rest of the season because of an ankle injury. Midfielder Edo Kuyembe will be out for the same period with a calf strain. That means he could miss the rest of the campaign. Grady Dean Garner could miss the rest of the season as well. He's got an ankle Jeez. problem. You know, a few injuries flying about. Birmingham have been forced to close their Wast Hills training ground after a fire severely damaged facilities there early on Friday morning. In a statement, they confirmed there were no injuries, but that the ground would be closed until further notice, which, That's I mean... Yeah. I'm not sure how much of an effect that will actually have on the club, but I can't imagine it's convenient, to say the very least. And finally, this is a brilliant story, Justin. The Sun is reporting Burnley will request a guard of honour from Blackburn at Ewood <laughs> Park if they manage to clinch the title before the two sides face off later in the season. I would love to see that happen. <laughs> not not because of any bias yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for Blackburn or Burnley or whatever. It would just be so funny. It's it's just shithousery, isn't it? Um, and adds a little bit of spice in that game as well. So it, it has to happen. Fingers crossed Bernie get the title clinch before then. I don't think it will happen. Um, but it will be a, a, a bitterly interesting, f- funny thing to witness, especially at Ewood Park. Just imagine the response from the Blackburn fans. I'd be incredible. It'd be incredible. I don't think, because it's happened in the Premier League a couple of times, I don't think championship supporters will respect that side of things as much as Premier League supporters mm. do. We are bastards. Yeah. We all no, are. it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight, and it's another solo Hateful Eight for Justin Peach. So I'm going to ask him to name eight of a certain subject. All he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I would say, name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and he would say Villa, that's one down, and then Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth, he'd be out. So all he needs to do is give me all eight answers. Justin, this week, Simon Grayson is giving you two lives on this one, so you can afford to get one wrong. One wrong? Oh, yeah, okay. I just got to be. I've just got to be clean cut here. Um, yeah. Simon Grayson is just doing his thing where he's not particularly uh, forthcoming. Yep. Less said about the better. That's the better. what he does. Yeah. That's what he does. He's just so particularly hateful this week. Um, always worth mentioning that Simon Grayson actually has no influence on this quiz whatsoever. We're naming it in his honour. Um, before he sues us. Uh, Justin, since you were gushing about them last week, this week's question is about the record-breaking Reading team of the 2005-06 season. Can you name the four defenders and four midfielders who started the most games in that season? I think I can. I reckon you probably can as well. If you're a true championship expert, you should be able to get this without getting any wrong. Oh, I'm buzzing. I'm buzzing. Come on, come on, come on. Right, go on. First one, please. Graham Murty. Yep, he was the captain off that side, famously scored a penalty late on in the season, which meant every outfield player has scored. Yeah, that was a lovely moment. It was, wasn't it? What next, Justin? Nicky Shorey. Yep, Nicky Shorey. What a brilliant player, left back. Once he played for England, didn't he? He did, yeah. Three caps or something. Yeah, yeah. brilliant player. Um, next one? Uh, Ivar yeah, Ingemarsson. Yep, one of just two players to start every game that season. You've got three so far out of eight, and you're going very well. Ibrahim Asonko. 
yep, one of just two players to start every game that season, and Ingham Martin being the other one, yeah. of course. Uh, that means you're halfway there. That's worth pointing out. That's incredible, by the way. Both centre half starting every single game yeah. that season. Um, just goes to show how good they were. Well done to them. Um, so right midfield, Glenn Little. Yep, someone I often forget about in this team, but really? was a brilliant player on yeah, the right hand side. Fantastic wanting. crosser of the ball. Yeah. Next one. Um, middle of midfield. I might get one wrong here because there's three in mind, but the obvious one is Steve Sidwell. Steve Sidwell, the ginger pella, you'd be correct. Uh, that means you've got two remaining. I, I'm starting to think you're going to cruise this. Yeah, 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 I'll go with the left, left of midfield before leaving. I'll, I'll let things get tense um, okay. at the end of the game. Bobby Convey. Yep, the American winger only missed one league game for Reading in that season. That means you've got one remaining. Are you going to do it with a clean slate, Justin? No, I'm not going to do it with a clean slate. I'm going to I'm going to assume that this man was more of a squad player, but Brynjolf Gunnarsson. Brynjolf Gunnarsson is not the player okay, you were looking fine. for. He wasn't too far behind Steve Sidwell, actually, in yeah. terms of appearances. But that means you've lost your life. That's fine. But you've got that one remaining, and I'm guessing you know who it is. It's easy. It's James Harper. It is James Harper. Only missed one league game that season. He was a bloody good player as well. He was. He was. He was was fantastic. And again, just the amount of games these players played. A 46-game season. Mm. And they set the points record. They lost two games all season. (sighs) Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I don't think you can consider it. Unless a team breaks that points record, any other team being better than that rating team. It's not a good advertisement for squad rotation, that team, is it? Because most players were there yeah. in every single game. Uh, Stephen Hunt was one who wasn't too far off. He played 80... He play, Get this. He played 38 games that season, but 35 of them were off the bench. Impact player. Yeah. The definition of a uh, substitute... What's it, what's, uh, what's it called when you have someone who's like a designated sub? Bench warmer? No, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. What was he? Oh, super sub. Super sub. That's it. Why did that? Oh, wow, yeah. That really escaped my brain then. Uh, uh, John Oster made uh, most of his appearances off the bench as well. He wasn't too far off from this team. But there you go, Justin. Simon Grayson's hate for late. Absolutely ticked off there, despite uh, your frustrations prior to the question. But there we go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the Second Tier Podcast live from Cancun in Mexico. This may be the worst podcast we've ever done. (coughs) Justin keeps coughing. Mm -hmm. There's the Cleaners. cleaners going up and down with trolleys and... We've actually had to stop this podcast two times now um, because of them knocking on the door and asking for us if they want us uh, to clean random things. Well, they don't want us to clean it. Yeah, um, th- this may be may have been an absolute disaster. Um, but if it has been a disaster and you still listened all the way through, thank you anyway. Uh, we really appreciate it. We'll be back to normality again on Thursday. So we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I'm going to have a bloody margarita. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big old thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.